Welcome to Running Out of Space, a podcast about collectors, their collections, and how they make room for it all in their lives. My name is Adam Grabarnik, and I've been a collector since I was a child. It began with stickers, which led to comics, which led to toys, sneakers, posters, pins, wine, and on and on and on. Taking a wide-angle view of my obsession for ownership, I've come to see how my collections have become intertwined with my personality and sense of identity. Speaking with other collectors on the internet and in real life, I've come to see that I'm not alone. The Running Out of Space podcast is a celebration of the spirit that unites all collectors. Because it doesn't matter if you collect paintings, watches, stamps, cars, guitars, or Barbie dolls, there is a common component within the collector themselves that transcends the object collected. Though the trophies may be different, the hunters are more similar than they know. My guest today is a creative director at Complex, whose collection zeroes in on the era of late 1980s and 90s. With a skillful mingling of sneakers, sports, sportswear, pro wrestling, and action figures, his collection forms like Voltron to produce a monolithic shrine to pop culture. Sitting in front of a wall of vintage and silver SB Nike boxes for our interview, his approach to collecting made me understand just how close Air Jordans are to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. To see selects of my guests' collections, follow the show's Instagram at Running Out of Space Podcast. Welcome to the show, Kevin Leister. So how long have you had this as your backdrop? Is this a pandemic sort of um, production design with all the boxes behind you? This is a recent development. I actually just moved and just got a house. So I actually have a place to, to house all my wares. So this was within the past year. Congratulations. Have, yeah, thank you. Um, finally have a spot to kind of showcase everything and, and plot everything out. Yeah. How was the move with all your stuff? Uh, it was... It wasn't as bad as you think. I actually got away without even using a moving company, which is pretty incredible. But I had most of my stuff in my condo that I lived in. And Uh then the other half was at my parents. Uh So every time I visited them, I take a car full of stuff. So it took 10 trips and they live an hour and a half away. So you do the math. It was definitely took a while to get everything over. But when when it was all said and done, it was like, yeah, I didn't want to like get everything uh, put here in one shot because yeah. even now it's like pretty overwhelming to kind of you know maneuver through everything and kind of understand where everything is how I want to set everything up so uh-huh. it's definitely a process how did it all start you didn't start with sneakers when you were a boy did you there had to have been something else that you got into that kind of set the whole collector bug off huh yeah that, it's it's honestly I, I blame my brothers I'm, I'm one of seven including me um so I have uh uh, two older brothers and a younger brother so my two older brothers were big into action figures so uh-huh. gi joe motu uh-huh. ghostbusters ninja turtles so all that stuff like from as long as i can remember i instantly had the bug yeah um so you know thinking about like wanting to be like my brothers or wanting to play with the same things that my brothers had yeah. then i started getting my own collections when i was older I think the first like actual collection I had was uh, the real Ghostbuster figures. Uh-huh. Um, so that really like 
and it's funny too because like i always used to keep the back of the card yeah always super cognizant of every single person and i wanted every single one yeah like i always had to like you know cobble that collection together and make sure like i was a completionist from like you know the age of five so that definitely carried over as i got older um you know as i aged um Star Wars became a big thing, um, especially when they re-released all of them in the theaters. I think it was 97. Uh-huh. Um, and the Power of the Force line re-emerged in 95. Mm-hmm. So those two things coinciding. Big into Star Wars, started collecting every single one of those. Um, you know, you had episode one come out in 99. So got all that stuff. So like, you know, all the big like cultural um, toy properties that have come out, I've pretty much collected. Um yeah, I, I mentioned Ninja Turtles, but that that's probably my biggest one to this day. I'm still diehard uh, TMNT and like, you know, hunt down that stuff and, um, you know, going for the more premium stuff now. But, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I could ramble on about all the different toy lines, but that was my start to kind of wrap up your initial question. The, I remember when the real Ghostbusters came out, those, that figure line in the cartoon, they're really detailed. They had those uh, kind of like little gimmicks for each figure and the, the ghosts were cool. It, right. And they were, um, they were, it was almost as if they were out to just crush the other Ghostbusters cartoon that came out. The one with the yeah. gorilla. Do you remember that one? Yeah, the, the filmation one. Yes. So those are actually worth a lot of money. They're good toys. The toys are cool. They're actually amazing toys. I yeah. ironically have never gotten into them. I don't know if it's because of like a subconscious, like, uh, you know, loyalty to the RGB line, but yeah. I, ne- I never went down that road. Um, but they're amazing. I, I really, I like them. Yeah. But tur- Ninja Turtles, I mean, do you pay attention like... Did you like check out all the stuff that was releasing at Comic-Con or all the previews? Oh my God. Yeah. I like, I, so I've also like, as I've gotten older and been doing this for a while, I've had to create like sets of rules for collecting. Um, I am a completionist. So I I set things into categories. So if something is, is new vintage. So basically if a company is making something that's like basically a vintage version, but it's new, I'm not Uh going to collect it because I have the old version of it. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the stuff that like NECA is doing, like, I love it. It's amazing. But I would quickly go broke, like hunting all that stuff on top of all the things that I'm trying to get in the sneaker world, in the trading card world. Like I have a lot of things on my hit list that I'm trying to check off. So, you know, you got you got to pick your spots when when you get to a point where like things are like pretty premium and expensive when you're you're like further down the road in collecting. Yeah, Masters of the Universe and Turtles people are not gonna have an easy year next year at all. No, and and the the thing is too, with all the vintage stuff, like that has been creeping up big time, especially for like the Ninja Turtles stuff. Uh Like it used to like 10, 15 years ago, it used to be super cheap. Like you could get carded figures for like, you know, under $10, Um, everything was pretty like easy to obtain. And then, you know, slowly but surely as that franchise is like kept up its momentum, like the collectors have just been growing and growing and people are going back and trying to like, you know, cobble together collections that they had when they were little. Yeah. Um, so that stuff's like, you know, strongly, strongly building like, uh, you know, aftermarket prices are, mm-hmm. are exploding. What are you on the hunt for now in terms of figures? I know we have a lot to get to because as you yeah. mentioned earlier and as your Instagram shows i mean you you go deep you have a vast collection of sneakers you have you mentioned cards but even like garbage bell kids cards too i think i saw on your on one of your stories too uh old gear like vintage like sportswear which is really really cool 
I mean, you 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 are, are like a tried and true collector. You love to amass uh, quantities of things. I love it. Yeah, and it's funny, like a lot of people think of me or know me as a sneaker collector, and that's mm-hmm. I, like those would probably be the first things I would get rid of and be okay with if I really? had to, if I had to like prune my collection and get rid of stuff. Like I don't like I love them, and like that journey's been. Yeah, I started like when I was in seventh or eighth grade, really collecting and like storing them and like meticulously caring for them. You would and keep them then you, back back then seventh yeah. grade you were, you were collecting sneakers then. Yeah. Man, and I would just wear them until they were beat and then throw them out. Wow. You well, kept all I the would, legacy stuff and all the Jordan stuff and all that stuff. So just to give you like some uh, time frame there, this was like the late 90s. So oh, okay, retros okay. were starting to come out. So I'm 36. So I'm. Okay. I'm in what I would call the retro era. So the golden age in my mind of sneakers is like the mid eighties when, you know, Jordan was on the rise, all that stuff was building up. You had Agassi coming on board. You had Bo Jackson, you had Tinker designing um, most of the big time Nikes in that era. So once that wave kind of subsided, a retro wave started in the late Mm nineties, early two thousands. And that was like cresting just as I was getting old enough to make my own money doing like, you know, uh, mowing lawns, doing all the stereotypical, like things a kid who has seven siblings would do to get money Yeah, yeah. to, to buy this stuff. Cause my parents weren't getting it for me. Like they would give me like, you know, maybe $20 to get a pair of sneakers for like the season. Yeah. But I would have to like, you know, do work or work around the neighborhood to like get money to pay for the rest of it. If I wanted to get something that was nicer. So that's why I would take care of it. It wasn't, it was yeah. like, a luxury item to me. It was something that I was like going to cherish and like make sure it was pristine. Yeah. Um, so that kind of carried on. So because I was so like meticulously caring for these, when I would get another pair, the last pair wasn't that messed up. So yeah. then, you know, you get another pair and then you, know, you start to accumulate them. Then once I got to like maybe my sophomore year of high school, I started um, doing um, like home renovation work and like actually making like pretty decent money, I guess, for a high schooler. Right. Um, and then I really like dialed it up 10 notches with buying sneakers. Like I was literally like going to malls all across New Jersey, like hunting stuff and like, you know, going down to like sales racks and like Nike outlets and being like, okay, this is on sale for $20. I'm going to get three pairs. And, you know, I don't know if they're ever going to come out again. So fuck it. I want like a lifetime supply of them. So that was kind of my mindset was like, I didn't know if they were ever going to come out again. So I would kind of like hoard them in a sense that like thinking kind of foolishly that I would get around to wearing them all and wearing them all. (laughs) And I think the ironic thing is like, say I bought three pairs of something in 2004, like I've barely worn the first pair. And then I have the two pairs pristine unworn that I've had (laughs) for now 18 years. Right. You know, I, I, I like stuff like that. Like, I understand how silly it is. And like, I kind of see the irony there, but it's like habits like that have like just kept me going. And like, I still do stuff to that day. What was your grail back in the day? Like when you were coming up and you started buying your own sneakers during that retro phase, what was the one thing? It was different. Cause like, I wasn't at that time, I wasn't like digging back into the archives and going back. I was more of like, let me see what's out now and hunt Uh what's on the shelves. Um, and like, or, or let me go see what's on sale and I could get super cheap because mm-hmm. I like the model. And like that whole era, like made me go back and look at all the back catalogs of what Nike did. 
mm-hmm. and it started to get me super interested in all the stuff that hasn't been retro yet. Right. Um, all the stories behind them and all the lore behind all these shoes. So that that kind of like exposure to these things opened up the horizons and opened up the doors. And then, you know, eBay is something I haven't mentioned yet, but that was like again, another just like catalyst for me just going like completely off the wall with like collecting stuff because mm-hmm. th- that opened the, the door for me to then start looking for things that weren't on the shelves. Mm-hmm. And then I could really start going into the back catalogs and really curating what I was going after. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of like my transition from, you know, kid collector, just completing toy lines because they're mm-hmm. awesome and they're fun to play with. And I just like lining them up and seeing them all complete to, hey, I'm getting sneakers because like, I think they're really cool, but I'm going to take really good care of them, mm-hmm. but I want more. And then starting to be like, wait a minute, like there's sets I can put together of this stuff. And like, I also like the way they all look lined up together. And there's something about like, for me, I think like looking back at everything, it's it's all about the hunt for me. Like mm-hmm. I, I truly enjoy like finding something, finding something I don't have, and then trying to, to find it by hook or by crook one way or the other. Mm-hmm. I get it. Um, did you have the those NYC dunks that I saw on your page? Did, were, those, were those bought when they first came out? Yes. So those, I think those were the... Um, I love those. Those the, are, are you talking about the Carolina ones yeah. with the NYC on them? Yeah. yeah. So there's a, there's a retro of those with um, the, the goldenrod colorway, the black and yellow yes. with the NYC as well. I don't have those. Um, but the Carolina ones are amazing. Those are my favorite yeah. ones. So, like that whole era of dunks was really the the first retro wave uh, of yeah. of dunks, um, yeah. and really like their coming out party as far as like you know a lifestyle shoe, mm-hmm. um, and kind of coincided with Nike releasing a lot of different sneakers in a lot of weird and different colorways. Yeah. Um, and it, it, you know, from I'd say like ninety eight to two thousand five ish it almost seemed like they were just like throwing stuff at the wall and just like, no, you know, using mass swaths of sneakers in many different colorways, yeah. like the air trainer SCs, um, the air force twos, um, like Delta forces, like just things mm-hmm. that, you know, are questioning why they were releasing them. Um, and I, I didn't even mention the air force ones, um, since those are so you know, ubiquitous and kind of like have been retro since they came out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of lost my train of, thought but i think like that whole era too like so much of that stuff would go on sale that mm-hmm. it would just gobble it all up and like it was it was so easy to get that's what i was kind of getting at i, I assume you were on nike talk early i was oh, on nike yeah. talk around oh three so i'm a, I, I i i was into um i didn't consider it collecting but i i was you know as you consider that wave of like agassi and jordan and bo jackson i was i'm 44 so like that hit like right when I was coming of age, right? So, but I wouldn't collect them. I would just wear them. Like I only had like one pair of sneakers. So like I would just wear them to the dirt and then throw them out and then get another pair. So that, I didn't get into like the the kind of lifestyle of having more than like three pairs of sneakers at once, even more than one pair of sneaker at once until like, I would have to say when, uh, I discovered Nike talk, which was like, Oh, three or something. And I started seeing all, I, I got the bug, you know, all the different colors, yeah. all the different models. And the, the idea that um, they were hard to get, which was, which was very alluring. And just, they were, they just hit at the right time. Like dunk is the dunk is such like a timeless silhouette for me. And um, they're just like, never go out of style for me. So 
to see to see like all like the old ones that you have um is really exciting for me because i i think they're on top of that they're still wearable like a lot of sneakers from yeah. if you have them from the 90s they crumble you you cannot wear them but with dunks you can be wearing a pair of dunks 20 30 years i think you know like i've right. never seen a pair of crumbled dunks i've, I've right. if anything i've seen like the leather come off of the sole but that's not bad at all no you could resole this and you hit the nail on the head as far as like longevity and wearability yeah. and a collectible and like you know dunks hit that mark jordan ones hit that mark jordan ones yeah sneaker with a polyurethane midsole is dust basically yeah. after you know 10-ish years so i have so many sneakers that i'm just like sadly watching like father time consume um but like it's a part of the like game and like i get it and like it's kind of like a, a weird thing to own something that is currently worth a ton of money and you know it's basically going to turn to dust it's like mm -hmm. a very like strange phenomenon as far as like collecting goes and mo most other stuff you could kind of protect from that for the most part but sneakers yeah. are a very unique thing in that like the the true like og collectors who have some of these models like the agassiz like mm -hmm. uh you know jordan threes jordan fours stuff like that you're basically holding something that's like gonna turn to dust over time so it's like a sandcastle at the beach right it looks beautiful when it's first crafted and then you know it's a fleeting moment um so that that is a weird part and something that like is always in the back of my mind is like why am i subjecting myself to this um but it's all fun like i i again like i think it comes back to like the thrill of the hunt and like i just love to like you know hunt down these models and you know go off of a checklist of like okay i saw in this catalog that they made this let me see if i could eventually mm -hmm. get that i just completed the full set of original moabs nice um, where the uh, i have them next to me i don't this is a podcast obviously so the the people can't see well i, I run a video too i do a youtube too where we can see so don't let oh, that great. stop you oh, okay so this is the the white black never, pair never seen those right super rare and like they're available. Like if you really look for them, you'll find them eventually. But I wanted them brand new in the original box with the wrapping paper, with the tag still on. So it took me a very long time to get these. Um, and this was the last pair of Moabs I needed um, from the original uh, run. So I, I was super stoked to get them. I got them the past year. Um, and it's rare for me to have things like that where I'm like, like viciously hunting them down and can't get them so it was it was super satisfying for me to get these congratulations um, how's the soul on those are they deteriorating no no and, and like i don't know what like secret elixir they put in the moab midsoles but every vintage moab i have the midsole is fine oh, i'm thinking good. some sort of phylon or I'll, i'd have to go in the catalogs and look and see what like you know nike said the material was but they're super durable um, i'm sure i could I've, I've seen people wear them i don't know if they're just like saying there and kind of put the you know a lot of people just put their shoe on for the instagram pick and then sure. like take it back and like oh i wore these today and they didn't um but yeah i i bet you could wear those and they'd be okay you know my a little issue that i have is with my sneakers is that i only like really go to the grocery store or like i take my daughter to school it's like i don't have a place to really wear them so i have to kind of force myself yes to put them on and go just like make an excuse to wear them which is fun i mean the act of wearing them even if you know i'm not really doing anything is still fun for me but i don't really have like i, I find myself being like oh i'm not gonna wear those because i'm not really going somewhere or like oh i'm gonna be at like a park and it's like grass and sand so like i feel you like the, the, sometimes like 
you can have a sneaker and just you never get around to wearing it. Yeah. And I mean, that that happened to me. And like, I, I have to go out of my way to like wear my shoes. I have right. to say, OK, like I am not going to put on this like low top Jordan one all white again because it's easy to slip on comfortable and I don't have to think about it. Let me wear one of my like 600 pairs of sneakers yes. and actually enjoy them. But to the other side of that, like I enjoy brand new shoes and I enjoy how they look and I enjoy collecting them like that. Like yeah. a lot of people give other people shit for that. Um, and like, they're like, oh, wear your sneakers or like, that's not the way to do it. But like, unless someone's paying for my shoes and like, you know, buying me a pair of shoes and telling me what to do with them, like, you know, it's my collection and, and like that's sure. how I want to curate it. So there's a huge like wave of people though, who are like not into like keeping things dead stock and, and like, don't really understand the the motive behind it. Yeah, for me, a lot of the time it's like, I think to myself like, oh, I'll wear these like, you know, some a friend of mine throws a party or something, I'll wear these for the first time. But like, my friend's not gonna throw a party. So I just <laughs> end up like not wearing them, you know right. what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, there is something too, maybe I should, I should just like wear them to go get my groceries. Maybe I should yeah, just, I, like flex at the grocery store. It's funny. I like, I, I wore a pair of union Jordan ones, which are like, like a newer uh, Jordan one collab that came out that are pretty yeah. expensive. And some dude like ran over them with his grocery cart wheel and literally left like a black skid mark over the toe. I was like, yeah, that's why I don't wear these like the place. <laughs> but you know, it's like stuff like that where I'm just like, of course the one time, like, yeah, I, I do want to wear something like that out in public. <laughs> so you said you had about 600 pairs? Yeah, between five and 600. Um, like as I was counting and bringing them all in, I think that's kind of where I netted out at. Amazing. And, th and that's taken you, what, 20 years to amass, would you say? Yeah, it's definitely not been overnight. Like it's been, I'd say consistently since like, I, I would put 99 as the year that I legitimately started like keeping stuff and was like, yeah trying to like not wear them that much man I, I brought up those new york dunks because i was living in new york at the time that those came out and like i just wasn't on the wave but i remember seeing them and being like those are kind of cool I, I think they were the they were the the goldenrod ones and i just remember like not being into them and they even like went on sale after a while and I, oh no i regret not getting those and i regret not getting the haze dunks those are my two nike regrets regrets those two are the ones that have stayed in my mind since i've seen them so the haze dunks, I've actually, that has been another white well. I just, for, for whatever reason, like I just never got around to getting either the, the highs or the lows and like, huh? it'd be like, oh, I'll get them, you know, next month or ah, there's something else. I don't want to yeah. like spend the money on them. And, and it's been kind of like one of those 20 year things where I actually really want them, but Good I job. just never pulled the trigger on them. And they're, they're super expensive now. And I like, yeah. honestly don't, don't think I would prioritize those over like some other stuff I'm looking for, but I, I love that shoe. And like, you know, that era kind of spins into the next big era of collecting for me, which was um, the, the Dunk SBs. Yep. Um, which, like, is a big chunk of my collection and a big chunk of my, like, uh, I'd say, like, age 17 to 22, just hunting and going around and, like, you know, actually going out in the wild, finding these things at stores and skate shops um, and having a blast. Like, that, like, some of my best sneaker memories are just, like, you know, hopping in my Accord and driving around, uh, just, uh, you know, finding these things, not knowing what's going to be in the store, yes. get, getting to the shop, seeing it on the shelf and just like buying it right from there. Mm -hmm. I watched um, Dunks going from retail to slowly creeping up by 10 bucks, then 20, then 30, 
then 70, then the place was charging 200 for them. So I watched it go from like, you know, a a cool niche little thing to something where the shops are super cognizant of like the aftermarket. Um, And like, I know people complain about the resale and like all of the stuff that's going on today, but that stuff's always been around. It's just always been around. It's, it's just a different platform. And it's the, the whole sneaker world has exponentially grown. So the selling of it has grown along with it. And the, the tools to do it are a lot easier. Mm-hmm. But even with toys and everything like that, like I used to collect, well, I still do, but I'm done with them. The uh, WWF Hasbro figures. I know you had Matt Cardona on here talking about those. Um, and I have every single one carded. Wow. I have every single one loose. Um, and I bought those when I was little. Um, and that was an, uh, a, one of my big passions was finding wrestling figures. The little tiny ones, right? You're talking about right, those, the little, right? Yeah, yes. the little ones. Um, the little plastic ones with, like, the action move. You push them down or, and they jump up or something? All right, there's the jumpers, the uh, Gorilla Press one. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so, like, that was the stuff that also was, like, a big collecting point for me. But I would go to flea markets and I would go to toy shows even back then in the early 90s with my brother. Mm-hmm. People were scalping them, like... Yeah. People were literally like charging like $50 for a loose Andre the Giant figure. Yeah. And I'd be like, what the hell? Like, I'm a little kid. And like, you're trying to like charge me that for a figure I need. Like, it, it's then it started to click with me that like this stuff is worth money. Yeah. There's scarcity and like, you know, hold on to these and kind of cherish them. So, you know, just a, a little anecdote of like me starting to have the gears turn and, and kind of understand from a super young age that like, hold on to this stuff and take care of it um, because I really liked it. And I, and I did want to hold on to it long-term and yeah. like, you know, n- not um, just move on to the next thing. Like all of these things that I collect are oddly from the same era. Like I yes. hear this like weird, like late eighties, uh, early to mid nineties uh, nexus of mm-hmm. stuff around me. And I think it is from truly like a place of nostalgia, like connecting with my brothers, just connecting with pop culture at the time um and you know i think it's just kind of mushroomed up into now and the other weird thing is that everyone's still making shit from all those eras so like exactly right that's exactly right all the stuff from like when i was little is like just as popular as ever so it's almost like grown up with me and giving me the opportunity to kind of like continue on the path with it you see that I, i i've um faced that stark reality uh especially with seeing children, like going to, you know, like I mentioned, I dropped my daughter off at school. She's, she's in elementary school, but kids are into star Wars. Kids are into masters of the universe. Kids are into GI Joe transformers. And it's like all stuff from the eighties. Right. There's like, you know, a few things, you know, there's, there's other properties that are around, but the fact that those things are still in the conversation and still in the culture really says so much about them. Like there was something very, um, dynamic and collectible about those toys and the things from that area you're talking about. I mean, let's zero in on toys for a little bit um, because like there was nothing, there's nothing like eighties toys. You see toys from then you see, you see toys from the seventies. They're, you know, they're tall. They're kind of awkward. They're all pretty much the same mold. Right. You take, you have star Wars toys, which is a completely different thing right. that, that set it all off. But then in the eighties, you have like this explosion of like, character and colors and muscles and everything just kind of elevated but the sculpt the sculpts of the things were very very cool they 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 were truly like they recalled a lot of movement and a lot of action so it's it, i'm not surprised that 
they've endured as long as they have, but there is such a magic quality to them that really extends, what is it? It's 40 years later. Yeah, it, it's still wild. releasing it. People yeah. are still going nuts more than ever. People are going crazy for it. Right. And I think you kind of nailed it with like the, the magic to it. And I think what the toys in the eighties did were they took the like lack of articulation and the kind of rigid dullness of the toys that predated them. And they took like what I consider now is to be like the hyper articulation and the over details and like the overly decoed um, figures. And it's just the sweet spot of like, you know, cartoonish proportions, like bright, vibrant colors um hand sculpted and hand drawn um from the jump and like all of those things are like in my mind like the best representation of every toy line yeah um, i think too much articulation isn't cool with toys i have no. friends that are into mafex and like highly articulated stuff you get them in cool poses and really hyper detail but i i don't i think there's something is lost when you have too much detail with a toy i agree it kind of takes it takes something out of it and i'm not sure what because like in yeah. theory it's really awesome that you could like make your like uh leonardo turtle figure do anything now but like yeah. i don't know i prefer my like squatting strange <laughs> uh, like grimacing leo and like right. you know, that that that's just the way it is and like it, it's really hard to pinpoint why um but i really think that speaks so like i don't know like well to like how everything in that era just culminate to like a boiling point and like so many things from that era are just like still magical to this day and you see them pitted up against toys and collectibles and whatever from the different decades that were before it and after it. There's something special about the sauce of those properties that came out during that time. There's something about the way that they were made. There's something about, there's just something so different. And it probably is because there were more hands involved uh, than there were, you know, than it was like made up on a screen or 3D modeled on a screen to come out. I don't know what it is, but you look at the, you look at that style of toy making, specifically toys, if we're talking about it, and then you see all the stuff that came after it, there's, it, 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 there's no comparison really. They've been overdoing it ever since. Right. And like, I think there was a, like, there was a lull too after that. I think like, you know, I think it peaked in the early nineties and then it got kind of crappy for a while where like there wasn't too many great toy lines and like, yeah. You know, the Power of the Force 2 line, uh, the Star Wars line was kind of the only thing that was like, you know, really a big toy line to collect. Um, the but Star Wars is different. Star Wars is totally different. That's like a right. different thing altogether. That's different, different league. Right. Yeah. Right. And that, that, that's like a property and a franchise unto itself. And that's going to like self-perpetuate no matter what. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I could get in on Star Wars, too, but I think you could save that for someone who's like a little bit more... Uh, well versed in that even though i do have the full 77 to 85 uh set um man so that was something that like like probably 10 15 years ago i just slowly started chiseling away um and getting them so this really started when you were a teenager were you were you aware that you were collecting i know you mentioned we were we touched on this but let's let's dive a little deeper in that when you were of that age and you saw all the stuff on the back of the box um collect them all sort of stuff were you seriously like i'm gonna put these on a shelf and i am gonna collect them or did you play with them and then when you were done playing with them you just took care of them and put them away you 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 took care of your toys sort of thing i i i played with them to an extent but i was like super careful and i would make sure i didn't lose any weapons had them all in little sandwich bags with their weapons included so the weapon wouldn't like float away and get lost um 
was just super meticulous with everything. And I did stand them up on shelves. I remember like my WWF Hasbro figures, I, I would literally call them my like collection and like, you know, had them all set up and like, you know, kind of like for, uh, I, I guess I was like, um, like seven or eight at the time. Like that was my world. That was like, you know, everything I was building was within those. Cause like, you know, that, that's all I was, re- I was obsessed. Uh-huh. I would call Toys R Us every other day asking if they got a new shipment in. I would call all the local malls and call KB. Like that was how I got my information and how I would find out if they were getting a new shipment in. Like, so this was like, you know, all pre-internet stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Like I'm sure the, the kid in the stock room who was answering my call was like, oh, this kid again is calling. Yep. <laughs> but it, it's funny because I then would do that with dunks. Yes. Like I would do, I would call the skate shops and like, oh, did you get the lucky dunks in? Did you get the unluckies in? I would, because they didn't have release dates. Um, so dunk SBs would like kind of drop randomly um, and just kind of like pop up in the store. So it wasn't like today where like, you could go online or you had the sneakers app and it was like, all right, this Saturday, these eight sneakers are coming out. It was more so um, like, okay, the store randomly got them, hurry up there or you're going to be screwed. Like big releases, Jordan retro, stuff like that. You could, um, that was all calendarized and ready, but like the SBs, I had no idea when these things were coming out. So it really was, you had to build relationships with these shops, get cool with them so that they knew you weren't a scalper or a reseller. And they understood that like, you were a collector and that, you know, they would either sometimes hold things for you if like you were really lucky. Um, but sometimes like not charge you the $20 upsell that they started doing later on down the road. Mm-hmm. So that was another cool part of it was just like, you know, it kind of being on the ground and actually forging those relationships, but it just doesn't exist today. Like all that stuff now is online and on Instagram. And I don't think it's better or worse, to be honest. I think, no, like, I don't either. I would. I was not the type uh, of person to like go wait online for sneakers, which is probably why I lost out on things like haze dunks and other sorts of um, kicks that I wish I had. I just wasn't the type to ever kind of do that sort of thing. Um, and I'm, this isn't this isn't a place from judgment at all. I'm, wow. It seems like people there were there are people out there who actually forged some relationships on those lines, started businesses together on those lines, got totally. inspired on those lines and campouts. So it's totally cool. But yeah, that I remember that that time before, like the sneakers app or even the Nike app, when you had to call or you had to just go and check it out or you had to go camp. Um, a lot of times I would just throw my hands up in the air and be like, well, I guess I'm not getting those. Yeah. And fortunately for me, like I used to live in Elizabeth, New Jersey, which was like closer to New York and like, you know, more of a, a city environment. So like there was more of a demand for Jordans. Mm-hmm. When I turned 15, I moved to like, the sticks in South Jersey, but there was a mall there that got every Jordan and all these. So there's a skate shop in that mall. So I had it super easy. Oh like, man. I didn't have to really camp out for anything. And like I say, I drove around to mall to uh, different malls and stores. Cause like I was actively hunting like stuff, but like yeah. if I wanted say the, the Jordan threes in 2003, the white cements, like I could literally stroll up at like 10 AM as the door was opening, get my pair and like, little to no fanfare and that was pretty common until i'd say like 2006 or 7 when things like kind of went wild um and that was the end of that but you had so a good I, run i had a great run of just like prime like you know high school kid or or in, like freshman in college just running and gunning getting whatever i wanted oh man would you resell it all 
Not really. Like the only times I would ever resell would be if I truly was like, I don't need this many pairs of this and I foolishly bought them or like I need to make some money to buy something that's mm -hmm. like bigger. And like I have nothing against resellers. Like no. I bought a lot of things from resellers and like I'm thankful for them because they have stuff that I need. Um, and it's a part of the game. Just kind of like what I was telling you before, like people have been doing this stuff for decades. Like this mm -hmm. is nothing new. Um, the, the tools are just more uh, uh, efficient to do it. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, I, I think like there's there's a lot of hate on them. Obviously, there's people that are like, you know, kind of eye rolling over the top, um, annoying when it comes to that stuff. But for the most part, I think it's a necessary part of sneakers. And like, you know, like there's always something else. I mm -hmm. think that's the other thing that this generation or I don't want to sound like an old man, but like, you know, people that are modern collectors need to understand is that there's going to be a new thing. There's going to be a new wave, like expand your horizons a little bit and look outside of like what everyone's gravitating towards. Cause that's honestly how I've gotten my craziest things is like looking outside of where the, the pack is going. That's how I found like uh, a Nike Seinfeld cash jacket because, you know, I was just hunting like uh, certain things and like you stumble upon this stuff and then you're like, this is really cool. And then, you know, eventually everyone else finds out about it and they're like, oh, that is really cool. And then they want to like spend big money on it. So a lot of that stuff happens organically if you're just hunting for things you actually love and care about. Um, and that's kind of been my theme is just like once something kind of gets like too saturated, I'll kind of move away from it. Yeah. Let everyone kind of deal with it. And I'll, I'll move on to something that's like a little more like open season um, and, and just a little less friction as far as collecting it goes. So that, that's another, I guess, like piece of advice, if you want to call it that, um, to anyone collecting is like, you know, there's going to be peaks and valleys for everything. So if you, if you see something that's like going for crazy money and like, you know, everyone's like rapidly trying to get it, move on to something else. There's plenty of other stuff out there. Yeah. It's very easy to get wrapped up when you discover something new, especially if it's hot. Like I can imagine like kids who are getting into sneakers, like, you just want them all immediately and the prices are so high now like it's not the barrier of entry is a lot a lot more intense uh, oh my God. for somebody trying to get into sneakers in 2022 yeah i remember like you know in high school and stuff and like granted again this is like i had like a job like i was like um you know, doing home renovation stuff with my my family business and um 200 was like holy shit like i don't want to spend that money for right. sneakers like that was like cap to me that was like the maximum i would be like comfortable spending and like fast forward to today and people are spending thousands and thousands and That's thousands crazy. of dollars on sneakers and you know i i get it um like it is it is crazy but like for certain things if you really want it and you have the money um and it is truly that scarce like more power to you like have fun I always go back and forth with the 80s stuff because I do feel like there is magic to it. But I also have times when I'm like, was it just really good marketing or was it was it actually pop art? I can't I, sometimes I can't tell because of the manipulation between like the, you'd have the cartoon on. And then the commercial for the toy of the cartoon that you were watching came on at the perfect time. So that right. like, the cartoon was end over. You're like, I got to go to the toy store and get it. But also like, then you look at the toys and they're just so good with the accessories and they got really good at like the sculpting of the faces and all the details and like all those little things added up to something. I mean, you look at masters of the universe and 
which came out before the the cartoon. And I remember first seeing those, like my eyes nearly exploded at at what I was looking at. Like I've never seen like a merman figure before seeing Skeletor for the first time. I mean, He-Man's classic Conan looking, but like some of these characters were like so off the wall and just so bizarre. And like, they begged you just to, to tear them out of a package and play with them. It was like, there was like, there's nothing really else. So I don't know if that's me being nostalgic and a victim of marketing, or if that is actually real. I think it's all of it. I I think it's this big stew of like emotions and like actual quality and imagination and all this stuff. And like all these indelible attributes that went into it. Like my, my brother had, you you know, stink or actually stunk the figure, like it smelled funny. Um, and we have this ongoing joke, uh, me and my brothers, that like, it smells like a cologne that actually exists. So every <laughs> once in a while, you'll be at like the supermarket or like be walking down the street and you'd be like, Wait, that, that guy smells like Stinkor. And like, it's just like, it's been one of those things for the past like 30 plus years that like, you just every once in a while, maybe like once a year, you'll run by a guy that like has this musk cologne or something that like <laughs> literally smells like Stinkor. And like, once you know that smell, you never forget it. I wonder if Mattel is going to release a stink or cologne eventually. They've done about everything else with He-Man, right? That, that could be a SDCC uh, exclusive for <laughs> sure. I'm sure people would, would love to buy that. <laughs> so um, bear with me as we jump around because you have a lot of a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. Let's get, let's get into the sportswear stuff because you yeah. mentioned that Seinfeld jacket. I'm assuming that's the one right behind you. Right, yeah. Is that so the Nike? I, that's Nike? Yeah, so I have a couple. Uh, well, I have... <laughs> yeah, funny, you have I, I went... I went down the rabbit hole of getting, um, I don't know if you could see it very well on here. It's got the Seinfeld emblem. It's breaking ground since 1989. And then on the, there's a Nike logo on the sleeve. Um, so, you know, Nike was a sponsor of the show and they provided the casting crew. Um, Jerry wore a lot of Nikes. Um, it was always George, laced. Yeah, always laced. Uh, George wore the Cortezes. This is the the pride and joy, though. This is the um, so the Nike bomber jacket with suede sleeves, mm-hmm. um, padded just, on the inside. Yeah, like fully lined, just really nice, super heavyweight. Yeah. Um, I have two of these um, that I got from messaging crew members um, and asking them if they had any of the stuff, and I wound up getting two denim jackets and two of the uh, the varsity crew jackets. And, and the jacket that I just had in my hands was the one that Larry David wears that in an episode of Curb. Amazing. Um, it's the one, uh, the actually very famous episode where he's at Dodger Stadium. Great. Uh, and I think the guy, there's another story to that where a guy gets acquitted for a murder in real life because they saw him on camera in that episode. Uh-huh. So, and I'm <laughs> jumping all over the place. But, you know, that, that jacket to me is like, again, like something I would never sell. Like, um, just such a cool thing to own and find. And... You know, I think once people got wise to them, the prices of those started going pretty crazy. Um, but again, like if you're looking for stuff that you truly like and kind of go down these rabbit holes, you're buying, bound to find something that's like very off the grid and really cool. What'd you get a cast sheet? You got a crew sheet? For, Todd, how'd you contact crew members? Did you just look at the credits at the end of the show and hit the phone book? Or so, the internet? No, it's not, it's not even that crazy. So Instagram has a few people that... Uh, that are part of the show that post about stuff. Uh-huh. And then you can look at comments of people who are like, Hey, I worked on it. I remember that. Or I remember this. And then, you, you know, you kind of play the, uh, the game of like, okay, that person was on the show. Let me hit them up. 
and see if they have anything. So there's a little detective work that goes in with that. Wow. Bravo. Um, Instagram great with that. LinkedIn is great with that. Um, you know, don't, don't want to give away all my trade secrets, but you know, it's, it's good, all, Kevin. That's real good. Yeah. It's all fair game. Um, but yeah, you have to do that legwork. Yeah. Like to get some of those things where, you know, they're not something you'd walk into a store and get. It's something that a, you have to know it even exists and B you have to do a little bit of work to, to find the right person to talk to, to get yeah. it. Um, like on that same note, I have a couple of these, uh, Jordan uh, shirts there. I'll actually take one out so that you can get the full look at it. Um, but this is a, a pretty famous shirt, uh, if you want to call it that, that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That Will Smith wore in an episode of Fresh Prince. He's doing like a stupid dance in the shirt. Yeah. Um, it's a killer shirt. So I, it's an amazing shirt. Um, the artwork on it is incredible. And I have two test prints of it. This is the the black print where they they tested the, the black run of ink. Um, and then the other one is heavier red. Um, and I got it from the Nike designer who worked on these. Wow. Um, so this one you could see has like some heavier red tones on it. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. These are test prints. Like this was like, you know, these wow. are both one of a kind um, from a really cool shirt. Um, that's like, you, you could call it iconic. Um, Do you wear that or is that just for the collection? I have a, uh, a release version of the shirt that I do wear and have yeah. um, that, that's, you know, just typical run of the mill, but still a great design. And that's oh, like yeah. a classic iconic design. Um, so, you know, like stuff like that, like, you know, I think like kind of what we were talking about before, like the magic and the design and the artistry around it, like all of these things kind of have a, a common theme that they tie back to like either a cultural moment or something I care about or someone I care about. Um, another cool thing I have is this is a, a player edition pair of cleats made specifically for Ken Griffey Jr. Um, this color never was released to the public in cleat form. They made a cleat for these that you could buy and wear that were white and black, but the, uh, the teal or turquoise never came out to the public. This was only a pair that he wore. Um, it has his size and it has the player tag in it. So these are like, it's a player exclusive shoe. Incredible. Um, so again, I didn't pay that much money for these. Like for what, basically in my mind, like one of the greatest baseball players of all time to like be able to own a pair of shoes that were made exclusively for him. It's a really cool thing to like have. And you know, it's, it's not a Jordan player edition, but like to me, this is just as good as that as far as like, you know, prestige of athlete goes. For sure. Now, do you go in phases where like you go a little bit, heavy on toys and then you get tired of toys for a little bit go to sneakers and then do that and get tired of that for a little bit and then go to sportswear cards yeah. do you collect comic books or anything like that i never got into the comic book world and i'm like i'm not sure why because it like it has everything i love and it kind of like you know it encompasses all of my interests but like i guess i just like the physical like nature of like action figures and, and like sportswear and sneakers but I mean, I also collect cards, so I guess like I don't really have an excuse. But I is guess it all at once for you? Is it all at once, all the time, everything, or do you take breaks and you 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 kind of um, organize your focus and you 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 um, you're able to um, set aside headspace for certain aspects of the collection? You know, I I think I'd like to think it's all at once, but like when I take a step back and look, I do get burned out with certain things. Like right now, I'm pretty not 
actively going after too many sneakers. There's just like, I kind of hit a wall with certain things. Like I don't have too many things on my hit list that I'm like pursuing everything I do want super expensive. So I'm not really into it right now. So like right now I've been really heavy on, um, maybe more cards and action figures and stuff like that. And just Mm -hmm. kind of going that route. Um, like garbage bell kids is always something I've been super into. So like, uh, you know, been kind of going into the back catalog of those and, and completing some sets. Those have never been a, a lot like wrestling figures and wrestling merch. Garbage Pail Kids have never been cheap. I remember when, like, as you know, when eBay was like first kind of launched with the collectibles, I was, you know, I was always looking at for WWF t shirts and I was always looking for Garbage Pail Kids season one and they were always expensive. Like they were never, right, yeah. they were never a, a steal at all. No, and it's wild because, like, I would go to the card shops by me, even, like, you know, late 90s or whatever, and, like, stuff was still, like, kind of unattainable for me. It was, like, you know, as a kid, like, I was, like, I'm not going to spend, like, you know, $100 for this or whatever. So you're right. I think for whatever reason, there's always been, like, such a following for that. Um, and, you know, the, the 40th anniversary is coming up for Series 1, and I, 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 if anyone wants that, I would get it now um, if you want to get your Series 1 sets in because, like, you know, that stuff is only going to go up. And, uh, you know, every time there's a big anniversary, people get real excited for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's there's something to Garbage Pail Kids, too. I mean, that, that is definitely a classic and not many. It's odd because Mad Balls had a minute. Yeah. Garbage Pail Kids kind of had a minute, but they haven't had the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles moment or the Masters of the Universe moment where right. it just is it reaches like a um, critical mass. Right. I, I think Garbage Bell Kids at their core just kind of like a little too weird to like ever get that, that mass appeal that they had. But that, that's why I love them. Um, but I think like there's just that one little like thing that's like keeping them from being like yes. super stream again. Um, but like I like that. Like I like that they're still kind of like, you know, desirable, rare in a uh-huh. sense, but still under the radar enough where like you could still get certain things. They're like a cult favorite. Yeah, they've actually, they're like in the midst of doing a collab with Mad Balls or they've been doing some mashup stuff. I saw uh, something at my comic book shop. There's like a Garbage Hall Kids. I, I think it is a Garbage Hall Kids Mad Balls comic book that's out. Right. I think they've done comics and I'm pretty sure they, they've done like a line of figures that have like, yeah. you know, mashed the two up. Are you complete on GPK? I am complete up until like the later stuff. Like, again, I have to just like make rules. Like if it's a set I'm interested, I'm all in. Like they had the WWE collab where they had like a Macho Man card, an Ultimate mm-hmm. Warrior card. And it was one of those um, limited sets that you could only get on tops.com. So like stuff like that, like I'll poke my head in there and see like if it's something that I'm down with, I'm like, okay, I'll get that one. So, yeah. you know, th- I think like a lot of this stuff like is so hard to be a completionist that like you, you have to make these rules where in the past there was a finality to it. Like sure. if you were into a toy line from the 80s, you can reasonably conclude it and finish it even though it's going to cost you a lot of money, there's an end game to it. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's without going down the prototype alley or any of that stuff, which like, uh, you know, I don't really dive too deep into from the toy standpoint. Did you go crazy during the pandemic on anything? Did you like really lean in on a certain property or a collectible? Yeah, I think like the, the pandemic, I really dialed in on like, weird oddball 80s nike stuff like i I was like old catalogs like back catalog sneakers that people weren't super into i actually started a collection of nike cortez um Mm -hmm. 
that so uh, like this brings up a thing where I have a couple like lifelong collection goals where like I know it's going to take me like you know I'll probably die before I ever finish it one of them is getting every year release of the red white and blue like the Forrest Gump colorway of Cortez's yeah um since 1972 how many have there been I'm still working on that, like finding out like uh, like a final, final answer. But for the most part, they've come out almost every single year. There has been a Cortez almost every single year. And I'm trying to like piece together every single release of that shoe. Um, It's insane. Like uh, I'll find some that are like totally different from a different factory. Um, I'll find some that like the materials are different, even though they came out the same year. Some will have like a weird terry cloth liner for no reason, like just all sorts of stuff. So like, and then the ones in the seventies are very expensive. So I'm not a seventies shoe guy, but that's something that like kind of sparked my interest. And and I've been slowly getting them as like, I find good prices on them. Why are the 70s ones in particular more desirable? I I think it's just they're they're originals. They're scarce. Um, 70s runners like command a premium just in general because there is a a cast of people that collect those like pretty hardcore. I'm not in that group. So that's kind of like alien territory for me. So, you know, that's kind of out of my comfort zone for sneakers. So like it is a weird space for me to kind of dip into. Yeah. Um, and the be true stuff I saw in your collection, you collected uh, you you amassed the not just the, the Nikes but the the uh school uniforms and the swag that they got right yeah yeah so that's another like uh, like speaking of like lifelong collections so like every school that was a part of the be true to your school group um had a collection of merch um and there's a catalog where you can see all these items and my goal is to get every single item on that catalog yeah that includes hats socks uh, duffel bags, yeah. um, tank tops, uh, track pants, button up or uh, button pants, zipper. Like there's so many variations of these things. Like I literally find something new once a week. Yeah. Um, and usually pretty cheap. How do you um, measure that? Like, how, and I don't mean the size, how it fits. I mean, how do you like how how do you put all of that together? Like, how are you able to get through your day with all of this stuff that you're out looking for? It's maddening. It's uh, like, I'll stay up till like 3am just like browsing through all my like sites, like, and I don't sleep that much and I don't need it. I'm never like tired. So that's kind of like also my secret weapon is that like, from the hours of like one to 3am, I am on the hunt for this stuff. Like, yeah. I'm, like on all my sites, scrolling through perusing, like, you know, hunting things down, finding deals. So I, I kind of spend maybe an hour or two a day dedicated to hunting stuff. Um, so that's how I kind of like, you know, get all this stuff going. Why do you think you do it? That's a, that's a really good question. Yeah. Um, there's probably some weird existential like uh, fulfillment that I'm like uh, solving for some void that I don't have. But like, honestly, like I'm, I, I'm a happy guy. I love my life. So it's not like I'm like filling some weird thing that like I'm not getting anywhere else. I think I genuinely like the hunt. I love the storytelling involved with all this stuff. Yes. I like, I like things. I like products. I like seeing the process behind them. I like seeing the art behind them. I like seeing it 
from start to finish how these things came. And I like seeing the history of it too. Yes. And I, that's why I like looking at the stuff from the past and seeing how it influenced what's out now. Cause there is an arc and you can see like how all these things have informed each other. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know why I do it, but it makes me happy. So I think that's like, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, if you do stuff that makes you happy, like, you know, it, it is very fulfilling. And, and that's why I think also like, not being in this for the resale aspect of it and just do fo like following things and hunting things that genuinely are interesting to me has kind of kept the longevity yeah. going for me. Like I've heard a lot of friends or people that be like, Oh, I'm done. Like I'm done with sneakers. I, it's too crazy now. Or like, Oh, I don't want to collect anymore, but it's really like, it, there's, it's a mindset and it, there's ways to kind of like take yourself out of the like chaos that is like the current state of things and find a different outlet in, in the collecting world. And like, I think I've been pretty flexible over the years with like dipping and dodging as trends happened. Um, so that's kind of kept me going throughout this, you know, this whole uh, journey. Yeah, there's, there's a celebration quality to it. Right. And Celebrating it's like, these things and you're, you know, you, you, um, you, uh, you, you, it's not a, it's not to get too grandiose. It's not a shrine, but you, you keep them around you for the, what it, the vibe it gives you too. It's, yeah, it's totally. a give and take, you know, I could pop open a box of sneakers that I bought 20 years ago and it'll instantly take me back to like that time. And I can remember the mall I got them at and at the place and like, you know, the weekend I spent with my friends there and like all of this stuff, I could pick up like, uh, you know, Stinkor. And remember like all the like times with my brothers and like stuff like that. And like for, for any of this stuff, it like, it really does like bring me back to all that stuff. Um, and it is, it's just like a connective tissue that I think is like really interesting and unique. So like in that sense, like, you know, I hope that never goes away. And I hope I keep finding these things that like keep connecting. Like when I have a kid, I hope like he has those same type of like bonds and memories through all that stuff. So, you know, I, I think it's important to have these like, it, it, it seems materialistic on the surface, but it truly is from a place of like interest and genuine like right. love doing it. Yeah. Do you have any uh, like um, that you, you could probably process negative traits that are like residuals from the, 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 your um, personality type of a collector? Like, do you hoard anything? Yeah. I mean, I guess in general, you could consider this like a form of hoarding, like, yeah. you know, but it's, pro no, it's productive. It's proactive in a sense. I'm right. like, do you not throw away your mail? Like, do you catch yourself doing things where it's like, oh, I actually have to check that because this isn't collecting. This is this is a negative aspect that, that could really affect my life. So I'm pretty good with like, I'm actually very good with that. Like, it's either should I collect or get it the hell out? Like, I yeah. don't have any like weird, like, I don't save like all of my like bottle caps because like for the hell, like, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, so I have very distinct rules for collecting. And like, I've been very discreet or not discreet, but very like, you know, forward with doing that right. i will say that like i probably have some form of ocd with keeping things pristine and perfect and meticulous yeah. um and i think that like comes with like keeping shoes dead stock or like making sure they're clean or like you know there's there's that like if something got damaged that i have i get this like super defeated feeling where i'm like oh that really is sucks um <laughs> like i've had like you know mint on card things where like the bubble will fall off and that'll like really hit me hard I'll be like oh like so I, I think there is some like compulsiveness involved with like the way I put all this together and the way I like have mm -hmm. to keep everything like in a certain way mm -hmm. but 
not not to the point where I, I feel like it's like super negatively impacted me more so that it's like kind of enabled me to like do what I'm doing in a way. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so are, you're not on the hunt for anything right now without without, you know, uh, divulging your eBay searches or what you might be bidding yeah. on now. Or is there anything that you're particularly fond of that you started searching for? My, my eBay, like my eBay search, uh, I have like all these like save search listings. So that is like my North star of all this stuff that I, uh, I'm looking for. I'll, I'll, I'll read you a few of them. So one of the things that is like a very strange thing, it's a 1910 T210 old mill baseball card. Um, my uncle, William Leister, played for a team that was on these old tobacco cards in 1910. Wow. I've been hunting for this card for 15 years now, trying to find it. Yeah. And like, I know I could see in PSA that one was graded. So I, I know at least like one is out there. I think wow. there might even be more. There might've been one graded on Beckett. Um, so that has been like one of my white whales is finding this card of my uncle from 1910. Wow. Um, I have... One thing I've been super into is 1990 Simpsons. Mm -hmm. um, just that was like the year the the bottle popped and like they went crazy with all marketing and everything. So like I completed the Mattel line of figures, which is like in in my mind like the quintessential Simpsons figure line. Yeah, those and are good. Those are I good. There's going to be a moment where people take a step back and like really appreciate Simpsons, and I think it's going to really start with that early like. 1990 to pre-1990 stuff when it was still like you know I, I wouldn't say pure but still had that level of like uh I, I don't even know how to describe it but there's a certain essence from that early Simpsons stuff that I'm really into like yeah there's there's they didn't these, know uh, they didn't know that like it, it, it was like a pop culture phenomenon it wasn't like a property like how it, Simpsons has become like Star Wars or like Kiss right. anyway, where like they they know exactly like they just put their stuff on everything and like their the designs have a lot of intent where like when the first Simpsons wave came out it was um it was just kind of like merch they were just kind of like sticking stuff everywhere yeah it's really weird there's like a Marge like vanity set there's like so many weird things and I'm like why did they make that but I'm like the artwork on it's actually really cool. Like yeah. whoever got assigned to do that, like was like, all right, they rolled up their sleeves and went in on it. They kind of didn't know what to do with it, but they knew to put, put it on stuff. Right. It, it's weird. Like it was a, a merchandising juggernaut, but it was a really crappy one. Yeah. So it, it, it's so strange. Like there's like a Homer uh, apron, grilling apron, where it's just like Homer on. I forget. There's like some stupid phrase. It's just like, such an it's all nonsense but like it's almost like self-aware too like they knew they were shitting out merch and like yes. okay with it yes uh, which they didn't have, they, like they didn't have the licensing game down yet oh yeah you know what i mean like now you see stuff at simpsons it's like the patterns are good the products are okay you know like right. it's not it's not so um souvenir as it right. felt like it's very when it formulaic now it's like yeah. it's like a formula now where in the past it's like just very scattered and like there's <laughs> nfl shirts that they have that's like it's like bart uh with like a colt's helmet and like hey man like it's just like and there's a bunch of teams like that and i've been like it's it's a weird combination of like why are the simpsons making official nfl merch in 1990 yeah. um but there's a bunch of them and like i've been 
finally like hunting those down and getting those. So it's like, you know, I, I think again, that kind of ties in the sportswear and like, you know, yes. the, um, you know, just like the imagination that goes into just weird shit like that. Do you wear the Seinfeld jacket? Uh, I haven't. Um, I would. I, I'm not like, especially I, I, I have two of them. So I would definitely wear it. I, I used to work in Manhattan like every day. Um, yeah. And like since the pandemic, I've been working from home. So that's kind of killed my whole game with like wearing a lot of my like vintage merch and wearing my stuff out. But, you know, I, I think a nice crisp fall day, I could definitely see myself wearing that. It's not out of the question, right? You no, no. I, I think like most of the apparel is like fair game as far as long as it's not going to fall apart. Right. Um, like, you know, I'll test it. I have a lot of like all over print uh, wrestling shirts, too. Crazy. Um, from the night. They're, they're awesome. And like, you know, as you know, like the price kind of went insane on those. I'll pull out a couple of them if I have them. They went from expensive to insane. And it's, oh, it's, the, same God, with, yeah. it's the same with comic book T-shirts. They went from expensive to insane. And it's probably like that's dope. <laughs> yeah, this is one of my favorites. Like HBK, uh, there's glitter print all over it. Wow. And it's Which, WWF. That's great. Right. It's a vintage WWF. This is, um, I think it was 94. Um, but which is like the new gen era of WWF is like my favorite. Um, that That is when I was like all, like I started watching it like at the end of the, the early Hogan era in like 90 or 91, like kind of watching Hulkamania fizzle. And like, I was always a Bret Hart guy. Yes. Hated, hated Shawn Michaels. Um, but I, ironically, I'm showing you two Shawn Michaels shirts. This is a really dope, uh, the two dudes with attitude shirt. That's a good one. Um, That's a real good one. Just like really cool graphics, just yeah. really well done. Um, totally wonky and wild, but like, you know, it's like kind of the stuff I'm after. I have this. This is some like, baby made i don't know why they made this but it's like for a tiny little kid um uh agassi challenge court outfit i've never um, seen the baby stuff I, I i am pretty sure this is just a sample um because it's like there's no like tag inside this is just completely handmade um so i think this was a sample to like you know just show what it could look like for a kid um but this is one of my weirdo prized possessions that like Those again are cool. There's no value to it. Like no one knows this even exists, but like I like it and it's awesome. I still uh, have my original uh, Agassiz shorts. Like I have purple and I have those pink. The original. Oh, no, yeah, I, I, that whole that is another thing that just like captured my imagination and just like yeah. you know I I've been collecting um, these Agassiz headbands for uh -huh. decades now. Like this was one of my original eBay save searches was uh, Nike Agassiz headband. Yeah. So every time I would see one, I would basically buy it. So I have dozens and dozens of these in almost every color that they've ever made. Um, every once in a while, I'll see one where I'm like, oh, my God, like, I didn't know they made that. And I'll like immediately get it. Um, but those days are becoming few and far between. Like, I'm pretty sure I have every color. There might be one or two that I don't have. Um, and I imagine you have all the, the tech challenge sneakers, huh? Yeah, um, yeah. I have every retro, um, especially the lava. I have every retro of the lava since it came out, and like a couple pairs of the original. Um, I have the uh, pixel colorway of the originals. I have two pairs of those from 1990, um, and then obviously all the retros. So just like tech challenges are a big, big sneaker for me, yeah. and like something that's like a core part of my collection. Um, that one hits. That that's a very um, hot 
um, area for Nike. People, people go, they've always gone crazy for the, for the Agassi stuff. Even like early Nike talk, ever since like sneaker collecting like formed, Agassi has really been in that nucleus. You have Jordan, yes, you have Jordan. Jordan's everything, Jordan is the culture. But you have Agassi too, and the people are intense about collecting the Agassi stuff. And I like that's one of those things on Nike talk that I remember. I think it was Retro Kid. He had like a circle of Agassiz or he had this like big display of tech challenges. And I was like, holy shit, like I want to do that. Like I want to start like going back and hunting this stuff. And like it was guys like that and people on Nike talk that kind of like along with eBay opened my mind up to like, you don't have to just go to the mall and hunt through that. Like there's other stuff to get out there. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, like obviously Jordan like elevated like sneakers and just like, you know, sportswear and collecting in general. But it was the Bo Jacksons, the Andre Agassiz, the Charles Barkley's, those like, you know, ancillary characters that like built up Nike and built up sportswear and, you know, built up storytelling through apparel. Like they were superheroes like Andre Agassi, like with his fluttering mullet and like, you know, a wig. it was a wig. I know. Yeah. And like. But like he was like a larger than life character, yes. like he looked like a superhero. Like yes. Bo Jackson looked like a superhero, and yes. I think like yeah, I mean I guess that stuff still exists today. But the way it was covered back then, and the way it was like magnified and like mm-hmm. almost curated in a way by the brands, by the media. By the um, way, dude, again with like marketing in the same way yeah. that like He Man stuff, like you had right. like David Fincher and Weedon Kennedy like blowing out amazing commercials too, larger than life ads. The right. designs, but Agassi in particular, like the clothes were dope. The colors were perfect. You know, like you see vintage Jordan stuff, and yes, it it is. It's it's so cool, and it's it's uh, so uh, muscular and and tough looking and sharp. But then you look at the Agassi stuff, and that stuff is just off the wall. Like even to this day, you put that stuff on. You put those shorts on with the spandex underneath. You're still looking wild. Oh yeah, no, people are gonna look at you, and that's like you know a thirty year old look where yes. like it still feels like edgy. Yes. Um, and and I think a lot of it has to do with the, the man behind like Andre Agassi brought that to life. Like, yeah. you know, if you, as loud as you can sort of stuff. Right. And like, you know, you could throw that apparel on other Nike athletes and it didn't hit as hard. No. Like, you know, like so it was like the storytelling with him, with his like struggles and championships. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like him exuding all of that. So. Like, I think that authenticity really lent itself and like, obviously Nike capitalized on it. And like, we're still talking about these people to this day Yeah. Um, where I, you know, I don't know if there's going to be like, obviously there's LeBron James and Kobe and like those core athletes that, you know, we'll remember, but I, it's different. I think everyone is so micro analyzed and, and, and covered in such a almost like vapid, uh, just not, not as a not as curated as it was back then. So mm-hmm. you're, you're not getting the story that we were with all of these larger than life characters. You're getting it told through fifty thousand scattered voices of varying yeah. opinions, um, and and it is different. Yeah, you're, you're touching on a good point. Also, like the the idea of um, I feel like that time that like late eighties, early nineties, like sneaker, um, that, that boom of the design, the Tinker Hatfield era, they were really going for something different. They were really going for something wild. They weren't going for a retro appeal. Like a lot of these newer pro models 
harken back to. They were trying, they were visionaries looking forward into what sportswear could be, look, trying to, to raise, you know, um, um, get people uh, um, wild about the shoes that their players were coming onto the court wearing. They were really pushing, pushing the envelope and, and commercials and marketing had a lot to it, but the athletes were also delivering, which is where that argument doesn't really have much ground that it was all marketing and commercials, but the design, the, the specifically the sneaker design of what Tinker and company were doing, they were just, I, I, I don't think that that was just, I don't think that that's normal. Like, and it, and it shows like, it's not typical and it shows because those sneakers were still going crazy for if they release, like if Agassi stuff releases, I mean, it doesn't really sell out. The last round that they released didn't really sell out, like all the gear and stuff, but it's not around anymore. And right, no, I mean, that's all cleared out by now. And right. you know, I mean, to, to be able to sell a neon palette, like crazy retro mm-hmm. um, style today like that um, just speaks to the volumes of like, yes. you know, the legacy that left. Um, and what they were doing, like the, the tip that they were on, like the, the wave that they were that they were riding at that time very visionary, very futuristic, very forward thinking. I mean, you remember the first time you saw like the Jordan five and then the Jordan six, that was crazy. The first time oh, you saw yeah. the, the, the tech challenge, the, I think it was the four, the one after the lava one that had the fire tennis ball on the back. Oh, those, the neon. those are the threes. Yeah. I have a pair stowed away somewhere. But um, then the fours with like the tie dye on the back, like those were wild, dude. Right. The fours are actually my favorite. Um, are they ever going to be retro? Do you think they're ever going to come out again? So they came out a couple of years ago, but they were only they weren't released in the states, and they had like a really wonky release, and it kind yeah. of annoyed everyone. And then like that's kind of been it. Um, and I really hope they give them like a proper like retro run because that that shoe is really awesome, and like you know it needs its day in the sun again because I think that'll sell really well. It has such a streetwear appeal. Like the the threes kind of don't they're more i mean they're, they're they don't look great with anything threes, besides shorts or sweatpants or anything yeah but, i agree the threes are probably the toughest to pull off in like you know modern uh you know day apparel yeah the fours, um and and funny enough the fours came out in 2000 mm-hmm. um as a retro and and bombed of course um, I have a pair of them that were like marked all the way down to 20 bucks. Like if you go back to old East Bay's in the early 2000s, you'll see the fours like just slashed because no one wanted them. Um, and that's the Jordans too. Well, 2000, probably not, but didn't Jordan one, the first retro sit? Yeah. The first run of retros, like, you you know, you could find them, you could walk into shops like, and and literally have those slashed down to people say 20 bucks and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, A little bit before my collecting time, I do have a, bunch of pairs of those that i've picked up over the years just because like yeah it's definitely like a staple in in my collection and you know having a jordan one that again it's not going to fall apart yeah the box is beautiful it's just a really nicely done shoe so again like thinking about like the types of sneakers that have that longevity that you'd want to collect but you know retro really didn't catch on until like the late 90s early 2000s when the jordan fours came out that lit a spark and then people started to take notice i remember distinctly um being at toys r us when the the first run of the jordan fours came out um or sorry the first retro run of the jordan fours i remember this guy walked up to me i was in the the star wars aisle believe it or not um and he had the retro fours on with the shirt 
And I was like, what the, like, where the hell did this come from? Cause I didn't know at the time that those were coming out. Yeah. And it's like my like jaw hit the floor. Cause like, I was like immediately like, I have to get those. I have to find them like, just like completely captivated by that. And I think that's the power of like the element of surprise and not having these things just so like plastered and, and just so easy to, to figure out. Yeah. The, the whole, where did you get those phenomena is dead. Is there any aspect of your collection that you're too far down the rabbit hole of to give up? So it's kind of like a burden for you now? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely the be true to your school thing. Like I have like so much of that crap and like I am just in it. And like I, I like it's one of those things where there, there's, there isn't even a defined finish line. So it's like like I was saying before, every time I think I know everything that came out, I'll find something new where I'm like, OK, well, now I have to find all this. So I, I recently um, have been finding the be true to your school stuff with the the names on the side of the sleeves, which oh, no. I, I knew existed, but I didn't know how much stuff had it. And apparently a lot of it does. Man. So that's another set of things and another like variant of, of things to hunt. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's one of those goals where it's like, kind of un- unobtainable but also fun in the the chase which like i yes. i guess like i i love the chase like i have to have something to kind of chase after so this is a very cheap easy thing to do because a lot of the stuff i get from the be true to your school collection i get for like twenty dollars thirty dollars so oh, okay. so I, I i won't give away my secrets on how i do that because like i've had people message me um, when I post stuff on that being like, Hey, I know you like this. I've been like, it's almost like I, I, people start to try to sell me things that I'm after if I show them. Um, so I kind of get wary about that, but again, it's all, you know, it's all fair game for sure. No, but I get it. Like you don't want the cat out of the bag. If you, if you found something that you're really into and it's a, you're getting a good price on it and it's fulfilling, why would you want to blow it up? Which, right. which, which leads me to my next question is if you were just, if you were, if you, if you, if you came to the realization in 2022 that like, Oh, I think I want to collect something. I think I really, I want to get into something. What would that be? What oh. would be that? What's the, what would be the hot thing for you? If you didn't have the sneakers, if you didn't have the toys, if you, if you had nothing, but you had the inclination of like, you know what, I, I just moved into a new place and I want to start a collection of something. Where right. do you think you would go on a blank like, slate? Blank slate? Like, yeah. are, are we talking things I could get in the store or things that I could get on eBay? Like, is there... Uh, let's start on eBay. Okay. Blank slate. Need to start collecting. Um, it would have to be wrestling. I think, like, I would have to start with wrestling something. Um, and, I, I, you know, I mean, I have them all. But, like, the thrill of getting the WWF Hasbro line, like is such a good memory to me. I would love to have that feeling of like rediscovering those and just like collecting them again with a purpose. Yeah. Um, So I think that would be like my first start to any like, uh, like filling a blank slate would be bringing that collection into it. Mm -hmm. And what about stuff bought from stores? Uh, You know what, if, if I had nothing else and I didn't have my stupid rules, I really do like the, the NECA turtle stuff. Um, It's really nice. It's it's like very nicely done. Like they have different ranges. So they have the cartoon, they have the the video game stuff, they have the movie stuff and like, it's all really well done. So I think if like, 
I had the, uh, you know, the bandwidth to get into that, I think that would be a really great, like, new collection yeah. to start. You're smart for not getting into that that deep of stuff. And it's a good rule to have because there's so much stuff that uh, that companies are just totally playing playing the the game and pulling the strings of collectors with what they're releasing it's almost criminal you know like it's not it's very manipulative they're manipulating the guys like me and you from an era where like you were craving these things you were like i wish there was more i wish they made this character i wish they made that character and then you have stuff like reaction making things in the format that like you know, hits that little like dopamine cord in your brain where it's like, ooh, like this is the style of a guy I'd want back in the, mm-hmm. you know, 80s or not. And like, that's their secret formula and I get it. But like, I have to like take a step back and be like, no, like uh-huh. this, isn't, this isn't the thing that I went after. And like, this is like not a fraud, but like it's a new thing that like is great for people who are into that. But like, I have these things. Like mm-hmm. I have a million Ninja Turtles. Like I have a million like, different figures in very similar formats so it's like you almost have to take a step back and like kind of like correct yourself and i say that but i also buy retro sneakers of a sneaker i have like five iterations of so i'm completely talking out of both sides of my mouth yeah that's that's kind of the the paradox of being a collector rules apply in one area but they don't another i mean it's right i I totally get it i think for the sneakers for me it's like the peace of mind that like I have a fresh version that I could in theory wear if I Mm -hmm. wanted to. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, you know, with every model that comes out, like the Jordan threes, like the white cements are coming out this year again. Like I have every version of that aside from the 1988. So um, I have the first retro of them. I have the 2003 retro of them. I have the 2011 retro of them. I have the 2000, was it Twelve, and then they had another one with like a free throw line imprint on the bottom of them that came a couple years after that. So I have like five or six versions of that shoe. I'm absolutely going to buy it again. Um, yeah, it's actually a very interesting way of thinking about time, specifically through Nikes and through sneakers and through retros, all the different models and all the re-releases that go through time. Putting them all together really does afford a context that you don't get just by you know holding whatever the new the newest retro is when you have and even if they're dirty or whatever lined up it's a real chronicle of time absolutely and i could tell you like you know i could hold the um 1994 version and look at the materials and the way it was made and the nuances of it then i could look at the 2003 version and say okay they added a jump man on the back because at the time they were moving away from the nike air branding on them mm-hmm. but- quality on the 2003 pair is immeasurably better than the 2011 pair which is one of the worst eras of sneakers from nike period almost everything from i'd say like 2006 to about 2013 2014 the paint would crack and peel regardless of age like it would just immediately do it out of the box all the leather was plasticky um the fit was just off so there was a good chunk of time where like most of Nike retros were really poorly made and really poorly executed. Um, and I was like fading away. Like I was like, I don't know how much more of this shit I could buy. Cause like, it was just so disappointing to open the box and see them made in that way. And it, they completely, you know, flipped, flipped back to, I, I'd say like acceptable quality, if not really good for most of their stuff. But yeah, I, I think it did take like Yeezy and Adidas and competition 
um, and brands that were actually putting some love into their product to get Nike to kind of come correct and come back around and making good stuff. But I think to your point, I love to look at all the sneakers in that context. And I love to have that 2011 pair next to the 2003 pair and next to that retro that's going to come out um, this year and be able to look at them all and see that story of production and like, you know, kind of like look and feel at the way these things were made over the years, even though it's the same shoe, neither, not, not one of those two are the same. If you look at them. Um, yeah. all up. Have there been any like museum exhibits of this sort of thing where you see all of them lined up? Not, not just like, Oh, here's a game or pair of this, that, or the other, or, you know, here's a production, you know, the first model off the assembly line. I mean, one where it's really comprehensive each retro yeah. Like have, have that, has that been a, yeah, uh, around at all? Yeah, there's been a few like roadshow-esque museums where they're like uh, like pop-ups. Like um, I think there was one in Brooklyn a few years back. Um, right now at um, Nike, uh, I think it's Dover. I could be wrong. Um, there's like a curated um, sneaker section of like old school sneakers with memorabilia. Um, and all these cool, like, just, like, old ephemera, like, attached to it on these, yeah. like, um, uh, pegboards. So it looks Very like cool. an old, like, Nike pegboard setup, and it's really cool. Um, but there's this place that um, – I don't know if you've ever heard of Shoeseum. Yes, um, I Gordon Geller, I think it was Vegas. Uh, again, I could be wrong, but he had an actual place with all of these sneakers um, and – in depth and had all the different models together and he literally set them up like telling stories like um would have like a pair of hulk sneakers with like a toy of the hulk next to it showing the context to it yeah. so he really did like go all out and um you know tell those stories and and have an actual museum that you could go in and, and walk through you could look it up on youtube there's a lot of different like walkthroughs and like different shows have covered it and it's really cool it's, you know, Nike is, Nikes are very much a American artifact in a way. Like when all this is said and done and we're years out of it and we're old and not on the planet anymore and new generations pass over and over, Nikes are still going to be around. I wonder if Jordan will ever go out of style, but Air Jordans are, I mean, that's, that's just Americana. It's, it's, it's become so much bigger than just a sneaker. Oh, yeah. And uh, a few years ago, there was like a thing where like, oh, people are only going to know Jordan through the crying meme or only like kids are going to start to forget about who uh, Michael Jordan is. And then, you know, the last dance came out um, and I'll, I have very few times in my life have I seen an explosion of something that I'm interested in happen almost instantaneously due to a specific thing. Yeah. And when that documentary came out during the pandemic everything with Jordan's name attached to it went through the roof, his yeah. rookie cards, his the Jordan, like 85 Jordan ones, anything that was vintage or like somewhat desirable with his name attached to it exploded. And like, you know, that it says a lot about him. It says a lot about, I guess, like all the stuff with his name attached to it, like these indelible products. Um, but uh, it also just kind of gives you like, if people have the right context to these things, and these legends perpetuate and these stories continue on, people are still going to be interested in it. It's like people needed in a way to be reminded of how fucking awesome Jordan was. Oh yeah. And I think it's, it's kind of like Ninja Turtles. Like these stories keep getting retold and, and they're, 
They're being retold through different iterations. Um, Master of the, of the Universe just had a new series out that retold that story. So as long as people are still talking about these stories and they're still like in the public eye, I don't see any of this stuff going away. Like, no. you know, cause like now my kids are going to be permeate, like they're going to be born into this and I'm going to show them this. And like, you know, there's like a life cycle to it. That's just going to keep going unless like, who knows? Like, I, I don't know. I, I just don't see an end to some of these bigger properties. TMNT and Motu are definitely in the Americana artifact. For sure. And you can see the passage of time. Not so much Masters because they went away for a little bit, right? Like Masters hasn't been uh, uh, as constant as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles has, right? Like Ninja Turtles has never gone away. Yeah, Ninja Turtles, like I would say 97-ish was like a lull for them, like into the the early 2000s. But I think it was 2002 that that new, they had like a reboot of the cartoon. Okay. That was awesome. Like I, I, that's I connected with my little brother on that. Yeah, that was a big thing where we watched that together. I got reinvested in that toy line with him, and yeah. we collected all of those. Um, and then and that's was- straight up indie. Like the turtles thing is so so fascinating to me because like it was just two indie dudes. Like it was not there was no company push behind it. No one was right. asking for Ninja Turtles at the time. When I was you know it was in the comic shops when I was a kid, and it was bloody and it was black and white it was not i if you would have told me that teenage mutant ninja turtles would have endured and been like a billion dollar global franchise i would have been like no there's no way you're crazy but and like even the first movie like i that is one to this day that's one of my favorite movies but like you wouldn't make that movie now for kids i showed that to my daughter she couldn't stand it it's so funny to me because like <laughs> I, I guess like it's one of those things where like if you were there and, and like you know yeah. we're a part of that kind of movement it, it, it like really sticks with you but like I don't know like that to me is like the perfect story for them in in that format of like yeah. Jim Henson Muppets like darker yeah. grittier um still kind of lighthearted when it needed to be like it, directed yeah. by Steve Barron who also directed Billy Jean, the music video for Michael Jackson. Really? Music video director, yeah. Steve I actually Bennett. didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw Ninja Turtles in the theater. Recent, I recently watched it again with my daughter. It was very dark, like, like in terms of the light, not the, not the, the, the content. The lighting is just very dark. You can't really see much for good reason. Yeah. I mean, they had to, you know, they had to obscure the costumes, but the the design of the costumes and the puppeteering is fantastic. Still, it holds up. Oh, it's unbelievable. Like yeah. it, it legitimately still feels like a quality movie where yeah. like you know, the budget wasn't crazy back then. And like, mm-hmm. you know, it was just like literally uh, animatronics and, and some puppeteering and some Jim Henson magic. But my daughter, who was like, you know, she's raised on. I mean, we started her on 2D drawn um, movies like the OG Disney stuff. Like we didn't get her into the, the CGI stuff right away. Yeah. But, you know, she's ramped up to that and old effects to her are so bobo like she has no no tolerance for it whatsoever maybe one day what about like star wars is that like if she saw um a new hope would that like i try dude she hates it i even i even thought to start it with um uh what is it uh uh seven eight nine with ray because i figured oh it's a girl she might be into it because you know star wars very luke skywalker i mean you have leia but like She's kind right. of in the background. It's more a boy's story. So I figured, okay, so maybe if she saw a girl Jedi, she'd be more into it. Nope. Wow. 
she's not even into the like the land speeder chase in in jedi like i just fast forwarded just to show her that and yeah. she still wasn't uh, having was say, no, no to the ewoks can't can't get down with them no and uh, that's fine I, you know i don't want to push it but you know yeah i think that that's something i'm gonna have to come to grips with is if my kid doesn't like any of this stuff which <laughs> i'm totally okay with that yeah um for two reasons one there's going to be a point where i'm going to have to stop them from either playing with this stuff mm-hmm. or like coming down into the basement with his friends and like oh my dad has all these things let's like check it all out like it's the thing like i'm gonna to have to come to terms with that and like mm-hmm. we're around that one way or the other so i've been thinking about that um but the other is like i truly do like hope that i can bond with him with this stuff and like you know be able to like you know enjoy these things and kind of pass them on if it he sticks. wants to there's some stuff there's some stuff that like where we we uh connect with um but I, i'm also all about like connecting with what she likes like what is she into so i i i put myself into into the mode of being interested in her stuff rather than me being like you're gonna like this and you're gonna like that and you're gonna wear right. this shirt and you're gonna have these i mean i you know i get her jays and i get her little things that are callbacks that she likes some stuff i show her she's like i don't like that um but like i try to kind of play her game just because like i see a lot of parents out there like the kid's wearing an outfit and like, you know, that kid didn't pick out that outfit. Like, you right. know, yeah. that, you know, I do not want to be the dad who's using his kid as a prop on Instagram. No. To show off like his thing. Like that is not my style. That's not my goal. No. I, I do want them to explore the world and kind of figure all this stuff out. Cause like, that's what I had, you know, like I, I, I guess through osmosis, like got a lot of it from my brothers, but truly like all the, like all the sneaker stuff and all the other things, it was like for me exploring it and like, you know, seeking it out and, and kind of like, you know, digging back all these layers. Um, so yeah, there, there's more tools to do that. And I'm sure there'll be even more um, when he's old enough. So there's definitely going to be like a lot of opportunity to kind of, you know, figure all this, this weird, crazy shit out. Yeah. And it's interesting um, because like it's for generations like ours, it, we had to kind of build it. In other words, like, Sneaker collecting was a very niche thing that was built on passion. Right. Toy collecting was a very niche thing that was built on passion. There's a reason why everybody's hot on Ninja Turtles and kind of cool with Thundercats, kind of cool with Silverhawks. There's a reason that TMNT kind of bubbled to the surface. And that's not a corporate push. That's just a generation's passions. So it's interesting to see the things that, because there was nonstop product back then. So many toy lines. So oh many, so many different sneakers. Nikes are specific because I don't even know why. Probably the athletes and the and you know the total package of the design, like we were talking about, like but you know down to the fact that they're dope shoes. But like, there's a reason why it's Turtles and Motu and not the other, you know, Brave Star or like. I don't know. I would have to really dig for, I mean, like. I, I have a lot of oddball toy collections, like Food Fighters. I don't know if yeah. you know them. Like, so that's a product of, like, again, like being one of seven, like sometimes having to shop at the reduced aisle in Toys R Us. And they were like, you know, a dollar or two dollars. And yeah. like, like, all right, sweet. I'm going to get all the Food Fighters. Right. Um, or there's another toy line called Barnyard Commandos. And I yes. have all of them. So yes. it's like, 
weird shit like that. I, like no one cares about them, but like if you have the food fighter, there's the donut and there's a special one that he has alternate cherry frosting on it. That's like a $500 figure on cards. Oh, wow. You miss with mask at all? You know that toy line mask? My older brother did. He had like, I distinctly remember in, uh, in our basement, there's a cardboard box that said mask Pat and I wasn't allowed to touch it. <laughs> uh, and my brother Pat had things that I really wanted to get my hands on. And for whatever reason, he, it was always like off limits. Like he had a drawer of garbage bell kids and I would go into his room and like beg him to just let me look at them. And he would always say no. And that made me want to get them. That made me like, you know, want to get my own collection and want to get this. So like, you know, just thinking about back at all this stuff and like, you know, all the connections that they have, um, you know, it, it does start from stuff like that. Yeah. Um, mask, man, that, that I, I've been um, one of my rules is no toys um, at the moment. I, I, I had I'm a recovering um, Japanese vinyl toy collector. So like I, I have a, my rule is no toys just because like if I have money for toys, I'm going to buy them for my kid. But also, right. like, there's so many toys around where I live. Like, there's so many toys in my home for, that are hers that if I added art toys, it wouldn't, it, it, the vision would not be there. It would not click. It would just look like more clutter. There would yeah. be no juxtaposition. Like, what's cool about collecting toys is the juxtaposition between high and low. You have nice furniture. You have, you know, like coffee, you know, like prints on the wall. And then you have, you know, uh, um, action figures that are kind of um, kitschy. You know, like, that's, that's kind of what's cool about collecting action figures. If you're around toys, if toys are everywhere and it's all kid stuff everywhere, and then you have a really cool um, OG mask toy on a on a bookshelf, it's not gonna it's not gonna hit. It's not gonna hit right. You know what I mean? Right. It's yeah. It's just like kind of out of sort. It's just like not in context that you want it to be. This is more clutter, right? It's it, yeah. it, there's there's not that that um, juxtaposition, which is so great about collecting toys. But what I was getting at was if I did delve down that dark hole of collecting retro toys, it would be mask. I, I get it. They're, they are awesome. And like, yeah. you know, I had, I I've looked at them and I played with them and like, you know, um, like the, like they, they turned into, or they like, some of them did like stand it out. They became different vehicles. Yeah. yeah. And they, and like all of the characters literally had masks. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that, that was like, again, like just a really cool imaginative toy line. Um, just awesome colors on them, I remember. Uh, my brother, Pat, also had like almost every G.I. Joe. Yeah, another one that endured. But like why? But like there was something that the generations that came up with that stuff did to make to kind of cement them in. Like no one's talking about mask. No one's talking about Captain Power. No one's right. talking about so many of these other toys that were around. There's something, I guess it's, there's that something, a little extra mojo, that little extra kind of cultural um, um, uh, spell that some of these things have, like Ninja Turtles, I think like He-Man. If you look at the, if you go G.I. Joe, Turtles, He-Man, they all had big time cartoons. Yes. Um, they all had merch galore. Um, they, all, they all had the marketing juggernaut behind them. Um, and the toys are all great, like object, mm -hmm. like, they were all amazing toy lines with great accessories, great vehicles, mm -hmm. and longevity. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think all that together is, is what's going to make these things be the first one you go after if you collect something. And I think when you look at toy lines, usually the most valuable are Series 1, because everyone wants to start from the beginning or get like that one guy from Series 1 
or it's usually the last series where everyone stopped uh-huh. and the the production run usually got cut down too because stores weren't investing or didn't want a, a, a large run of them. Yeah. So like WWF Hasbro, the green card series is super, super valuable yeah. because they weren't available everywhere. There's super limited production. And if you go up and down every toy line, usually the last line in them is, uh, is pretty scary. That's so interesting because you're so right. It's so true. The last line, last wave of, of figures for any toy or any toy, they're usually they, there's the heavy drop off, and you can't right. for some reason you can't find them. Real it's so true. If you look at the RGB line, um, the glow in the dark ones are worth a fortune now. Huh. Um, and that was the last series. Like they stopped making them after that. And again, it's just the same deal. Are you into GI Joe, or that's a no no? And so it's, it's weird because, like, I think my, my oldest brother, Pat, who's 10 years older than me, I didn't get into his stuff as much. And I think it might have been because he wouldn't let me play with any of it. <laughs> um, my brother, Dan, who's five years older than me, um, we all we like all of the same stuff. Like, um, he's big on Ghostbusters. I'm big on Ghostbusters. Turtles, turtle. Like, so I collected through him and, like, we both had our own competing collections growing up, which is, like, yeah looking back at it was very dumb because we like didn't have that much money and we probably should have combined our resources um which we eventually did for the wwf hasbro figures because those were hard enough to get we're like we're like all right let's like you know allied powers here and just like hunt together um so that that was our first combined collection that's sweet i like that yeah you brought you you, it brought you two together in a way i like that we go to flea markets like and once every couple weeks um and like we'll always like kind of hunt the same stuff and like you know we'll always get a kick out of seeing like a hasbro on a table for like 10 bucks or something like that so still to this day all that stuff is still like in our world yeah show me that ghostbusters box that you have next to you i've been i've been on that this whole time so this is um the green ghost i i honestly don't know why they don't just call him slimer on the box Mm -hmm. um but green ghost with goop so he comes with ectoplasm like if you ever see the the actual slime on ebay um that's sealed it goes for hundreds of dollars yeah like so people are paying hundreds of bucks for ghostbusters slime that used to be my consolation prize when i'd go to toys r us and i couldn't afford a figure get some slime yeah i just get a can of slime same with turtles like if if they didn't have anyone you needed or like you couldn't for whatever reason like uh get a toy you just get some mutagen and like call it a day. Um, what is that? Like a soft kind of gel sort of plasticky slimer? Yeah. So he's like, he's, he's like, yeah, he's like more soft. Uh, I figured it's probably like a vinyl uh-huh. um, material. And he has this plastic thing on the back of him where you load up the slime, you put it into him and it'll like ooze out of his mouth. That's killer. And you'll like, never take that out of the box, right? The box is so nice. It's a, yeah, no, this is this is not coming out of the box. And it's this is actually very hard to find in the box. I have a version outside of the box. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I have a bunch of um, RGB outside of the box. I, I started to go down the road of collecting them mint on card and I had to stop. I was like, like this is too much. And it, it's just like, yeah. wasn't it wasn't hitting it for me. So like I, <laughs> I stopped. Um, but I it's funny like talking about the slime that like all of the the big toy lines also had slime mm-hmm. um, i guess joe really didn't um but m-o-t-u had the slime pit um ghostbusters all about that uh, you know ectoplasm 
mm-hmm. and turtles. Almost everything had the the ooze. Um, it was very cool. The it slime was. was awesome. It was gross, just gross enough. You know, yeah. it felt squishy, and you could like really give your toys the business with some slime. Like if you think about like Muckman and Joe Eyeball, like the turtle figure, like that yeah. toy is probably my favorite figure. Like period, <laughs> up, up and down any toy line. Yeah. Like I just remember staring at that thing and looking at every nook and cranny of yeah. him, and like seeing like they sculpted like a lobster on him, and they sculpted <laughs> right. like like there's so many weird details by hand too, right? It was some person by hand. They drew I it think, out and did it by hand. Amazing. That was all Verner's studio, I think. Who was did- it? the playmates line which is like you know if you look at their portfolio it's incredible yeah um and they were in line for the star wars or they made a pitch for the the star wars line um that kenner reclaimed and and went forward or hasbro or whatever um that moved forward with it but if you you could look up their mock-ups for it and they're incredible cool um there's a few different versions of like i think luke and his x-wing pilot gear and i think they did like a Leia and a C-3PO and they're really, really well done. Nice. Nice. All right, Kevin, final question. Okay. All right. Do, do you wear Jordans with Jumpman on the back? I used to out of necessity because that's all I could. Um, I prefer not to now. If I, if I can get away with it, I will wear a Nike Air all day. Like that, that is the way it was meant to be. That is the way it was designed by Tinker. Um, so, you know, I, they've fortunately redone all of them now. Yeah. Almost. There's a couple that haven't, um, come back out yet. The fire red threes are coming back out with the Nike on the back. I'm definitely going to get, you know, two or three pairs of those. Um, I'm going to wear the hell out of one pair. So yeah, it's gotta be Nike air on the back. 